welcome to the Real Estate Medicine podcast. We are taking full advantage of Health Literacy Month and we're delighted to welcome Graham Kramer here to talk to us about health literacy. So I'll start by introducing myself. I'm Kate Arrow. I'm the clinical lead for real estate medicine in Highland. And then thanks so much for joining us, Graham. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Kate. And thanks for um, inviting me to take part in this. Um, yeah, so I'm a, um, a recently retired GP. I retired um, August last year, having spent most of my career as a GP in Montrose on, on the East Coast in, in Tayside. And, um, and I suppose spent a lot of time in general practice with a big interest in people living with long-term conditions. And for a few years in the latter half of my career, I was seconded to Scottish Government um, as a, a clinical lead for um, self-management and health literacy, kind of, sort of terms that are slightly uh, confusing and, and, and people struggle to think what those might mean. But, but at the heart of it, it's really um, enabling and supporting people to be the sort of lead partner in their care because we know that when people um, are the lead partners, when they're the sort of active uh, agent in their encounters with healthcare professionals, um, often healthcare outcomes uh, are better. You know, people make better decisions uh, that, that are relevant to themselves when these sort of things happen. So there's a big sort of political economy around um, supporting people to self-manage. And a, a key ingredient to that is, is people being able to um, understand and engage um, in their own health and healthcare. Um, and that's where sort of health literacy comes in and, and is very important. Grand. Yeah, because it's a, it's a term that we talk about a lot. And it became clear to me recently that not everyone fully understands what health literacy means and how they can improve health literacy. So can you kind of explain to us what it is from a clinician point of view and maybe from a patient's point of view? Okay, well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think there are sort of a few definitions of health literacy. And I, I just, just recently reading a paper, which was a whole paper discussed to sort of, you know, teasing out the various definitions of health literacy. And, and, and it doesn't really, it's really, really complex. And, and I don't want to be disingenuous, but I think um, some of these uh, they're very good definitions, but I, I would argue that they they suck, and I and I mean suck as a as a mnemonic, with uh, um, S standing for skills, U standing for understanding, C for confidence, and K for knowledge, and and I think fundamentally health literacy is about people having the skills, the understanding, the confidence, and the knowledge to do what to. Um, sort of access and navigate the healthcare system to be able to um, collaborate with their healthcare professionals. And I suppose, finally, to be able to um, self-manage, uh, you know, their, their own health um, and their health conditions in the way that they would want to. Uh, we wouldn't want to so necessarily force our treatments on people. So, so that's a very sort of, I think, a uh, a light way of understanding that is, is just remember the mnemonic suck, skills, understanding, confidence and knowledge. There is a problem with these definitions because they often locate the problem um, with the person. So we might argue that people have you know, insufficient skills and understanding and confidence and knowledge. And I, and I suppose there's this great temptation to sort of really try and improve that, um, improve their skills and understanding and give them knowledge and things like that. And that's very, very important. But it's also a challenge for us 
to make um, healthcare much more easier to understand and more accessible and and easier to engage with. And so, so I, I guess sort of in the evolution and the development of, of health, health prevention, health promotion, particularly in the old days where perhaps the, the, the biggest health problems were infectious diseases, communicable diseases, and, you know, health education was, was really important. And so health literacy sort of was conflated a bit with health education. Um, now I think we're moving um, where people are living with long-term conditions. It's not really just the responsibility of public health teams. Um, it, it really impacts as us clinicians on, on how we engage with people and and, and and the onus for us to to make um, healthcare much more understandable and engageable. Um, the, the analogy, just a brief analogy that I've, I've always used, uh, often tell this story is, is that, you know, 40 years ago, um, none of us had any computer literacy. Um, we didn't really understand how computers worked. And of course, IBM produced the first um, computer, which was this massive clunky thing, which would have filled half your living room. And um, you would have had to have been, you know, um, you know, an uber scientist or, or a geek to really want to be able to engage with one of these. Um, and of course, what the computer industry could have done is they could have educated us all. They could have um, given us books and pamphlets to read about how to use these computers and how to code. They could have sent us off to evening classes. But in fact, what they did is they made computers a lot more engaging and simpler to use. And now, um, you know, whether you're five or 85, you know, we, we, you, could be, you know, using an iPad is, is so instinctive. And so, so I, I guess that analogy is, you know, how can we we shift um, health and healthcare and, and, and the services we provide um, to be um, less like an old IBM computer and, and a bit more like a sort of uh, a, a, an iPad with people can can engage with so that's, that's a useful analogy and hopefully that's a, yeah. a sort of helpful overview of what health literacy is about yeah and and when you say that you know that resonates with me because um the the mnemonic that you talk about often as healthcare professionals we we it's so easy to slip into jargon and having the confidence and the knowledge on how to explain things in a way that people understand and within the confines of the time that we have to explain mm. them can mm. be incredibly challenging. Mm. Um, I write all my letters to patients now and it definitely takes practice mm. Mm -hmm. and I'm sure I, I make mistakes in it. <clears throat> So. I, 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 think, I think I think that's a really good point, and and the, you know the thing about jargon is that these are um, these are terms that us as healthcare professionals are so familiar with, we don't even know their jargon. We we, we don't even know that the other person doesn't understand them, <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, we do have to be be, be very careful and and. and and it works, but it works some ways because sometimes if you try and oversimplify things for people and avoid jargon completely, um, some people feel at risk of being patronised. Um, and so I, I think perhaps the safest thing to do is it's OK to use jargon, um, but as long as you clarify that jargon. So, um, you know, um, I'm just going to go and get my glucometer. That's the little machine that 
you know, I use to test your blood sugar and things like that. And that's, that's, uh, that, so use the words and then, and then people pick these things up. And I guess if you're in your case of point, if you are um, writing a letter, um, you know, you can, you can, you can use the technical word, but then put a brackets in as to, 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 to explain that or have a little glossary at the end or something like that that explains these terms yeah. just in case. Yeah. Um, and even um even translating um terms between specialties can often be difficult because you know having an awareness that an acronym in your world of anesthetics can mean something completely different in obstetrics yes so yes. there can be a lot of confusion there too i know i remember there's one little story um and this is this is quite a case in point actually, where, where um, people when they go into hospital, you know, acutely ill, um, and then they come out of hospital and they used to come and see me, and um, you know, used to ask them, you know, um, do you understand what happened to you in hospital? And it was surprising how many people didn't have a clue um, what happened, you know, particularly if they're sort of elderly and and um, and, and 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 I remember going to visit a nursing home and. Um, a little lady and she the, the nursing home had got a copy of the discharge letter and um, the diagnosis on it was non-STEMI which is a non-ST elevation myocardial infarction a heart attack and um and so I went in to to see her with the with the um you know the carers in the nursing home and I said you know how, how are you getting on after your heart attack and, and and none of them knew she'd had a heart attack the patient didn't know that she'd been in with a heart attack and um and the carers had no idea because they didn't know what non-STEMI meant so we, we we do have to be careful <laughs> yeah absolutely so we can't we can't uh, assume that even our colleagues understand what we're talking about in our our little bubble of our yeah. specialty absolutely yeah, exactly. exactly yeah and um, so what I mean you've probably already alluded to it a little bit but like is there can you share the story of what really motivated you and to take this interest and do all this work around health literacy yeah, I, I suppose I, I often tell this story, and it really was a sort of a light bulb moment, an epiphany, really. Um, uh, uh, I, I'd, I'd obviously been, you know, seeing patients for many years, um, doing long-term condition reviews with them and things. Anyway, one one day I was out on some home visits, and I came into the surgery, into my consulting room, um, and sitting in in my chair at my desk was um, Ray, who was the Tayside GP IT technician who went around servicing all our computers and updating them upgrading them and it, he, he often did that and so he was in my chair and so I sat down in the, in the patient chair and we kind of sort of slipped into this role play and I said to, to Ray I said you know common doc how is it you know looking at the computer and and he began to tell me and he, all, the, all the things he'd done to it and the program files he deleted and rebooted and, and everything and um and, and it was absolute, I mean, you know, I, I could sort of get some of the words, but it was really gob gobbledygook, you know, and, and really, you know, strange. And I found myself sitting there sort of looking intelligent and and, and nodding and, and, and agree, you know, taking it all in because I was kind of um, polite. I didn't want to say I haven't got a clue what you're saying. Um, and I suppose I didn't, was too embarrassed to sort of admit my own ignorance. Um, and at that point, I just thought, oh, my God, this is exactly what it's like for my patients. Um, and 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 then and then I began to test that um, uh, with them. And, and and lo and behold, you know, um, 
you know, conversations that I'd had over and over again with people, um, you know, I'd realized that, you know, when you check their understanding, you know, they hadn't really taken in these concepts. And, 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 and it shouldn't really come as surprised, actually, because there has been research done, and this was in clinics quite a few years ago in hospital clinics, that, that about half of what a person um, hears in a consultation is, is, is forgotten. Or, or on yeah um sorry misunderstood half of what they're taking misunderstood um and of that half that is understood it, it's easily forgotten and and so so people are going away from these clinical encounters um often getting very little out of it you know some some getting a lot out of it but you know some getting getting very little out of it and so you know, actually, when you think about it as a form of communication or education, as a vehicle for communication and education, um, it's quite ineffective. And when, you know, we're having, you know, 20 million consultations a year in general practice, 4 million consultations um, in hospital, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot lot going through sibs here and, and, you know, very, very inefficient. And I just thought we, we've got to find ways of, of improving this. Um, yeah. And so that was a kind of um, a motivator for me. And yeah, then, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's, you know, and, and 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 I guess the the point of that is that um, the thing about health literacy or, or people's knowledge, confidence, understanding of skills is, um, as clinicians, we it's a kind of hidden disability. Um, you know, and, and and people like me in that with Ray in that that, that with the computer, we we're actively disguising the fact that we don't understand um, and. Um, you know, and it's and it's it it's it's kind of shocking. You know, I mean, if one one sort of um, take on health literacy is 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 regarding it as a as, as a social disability, really, that that people, you know, if they have functional literacy problems and or numeracy problems, you know, that that's a, a big issue. Um, but if they just can't understand the information we're getting, or they can't access healthcare, or it's too complicated, um, it's a real disability for them. Um, and, you know, but with other disabilities that we can see, uh, we actively do something about, you know, um, and I always say that, you know, people with poor health literacy view healthcare in the same way that somebody with a physical disability in a wheelchair would see a world full of, um, you know, staircases, <laughs> you know, you, you just, it, it becomes, it becomes difficult for you to contemplate, difficult to engage in, and you don't, you just stay at home because it's just too much for you. But because you know, people in wheelchairs, that's a visible disability. And we do something about it. We make everything disabled access um, much easier for people to get around. Um, but, but and, you know, and we remove all those huge barriers because it's the be the right thing to do. But somehow with health literacy, because it's hidden and, and we don't realise, um, we, we, we inadvertently, we don't mean it, but we, we inadvertently um, put all these barriers in place, that, often the barriers that we can't actually see. Um, and uh, so, so uh, you know, so you know there's a really important and and, and, it, and it and it has a profound effect on people if they if they have poor health literacy um you know there's some alarming statistics there was um you know 43 percent of working age adults in england as a study um are um, unable to understand the instructions on a childhood 
paracetamol packet or bottle um and that and that's that's you know because the the wording and the numbers is pitched at a level um that's above people's literacy and numeracy skills for a lot of people you know yeah. and that's just child of paracetamol I and mean, think of all the other sort of complex drugs you know so trexate and warfarin and all these things that that we describe you know um so and and and, and of course you know, and the sad thing is that people with low health literacy have, um, there's a good sort of rule of thumb that they, they really have sort of twice the mortality so and, mort- and morbidity. So if you've got diabetes and very low health literacy, um, you're twice as likely to develop, you know, um, uh, ischemic heart disease and renal failure and, 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 and things like that. Um, if you're over the age of 50 um, with anything, um, you, you're, uh, and you've got poor health literacy. You, you're you're twice as likely to die over the next ten years. Um, you, you know the the economic cost of this in um, of you know people sort of uh, you know um, I, I suppose you know not being able to take their drugs as prescribed, um, increase use of healthcare services and A and E attendances and these sort of things. It is it, a huge cost to to our economy. Yeah. well so it's a really really big problem so how do we how do we spot the people how do we measure health literacy <laughs> yeah it, and that that's very difficult um and there's 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 some argument that actually um uh you know with with the person that you have in front of you um uh you know it, it you know, do we know what to, do we need to know what their health literacy is? You know, and there's one argument that you know we should take a sort of a, a universal precautions approach, just assume that they have low health literacy, and you know, pra- you know, don't use jargon and and and, and try and sort of um, make things easier for them as much as possible. Um, and 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 that's that's quite good practice, really. Um, because sometimes it might be quite shaming for people if we start sort of, um, uh, I, I guess, um, making assumptions about their health literacy. So, 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 so that's that, that's quite a, a useful thing. This sort of universal precautions approach, and we shouldn't assume just because people sort of people are, um, you know, you might have people who are, you know, very high functioning university academics. Um, you shouldn't necessarily assume that they understand what you're talking about. Um, I remember talking to somebody um, about um, very high functioning civil servant, Cambridge graduate, um, and I was explaining um, renal patient view, which is where people can access um, people with kidney chronic kidney disease can access all their their numbers, and we had a very com- good conversation about that. And then um, at the end of it, she said, "Graham, what what, what does renal mean?" Yeah, and you know, and I, I didn't, oh yeah, so, so yeah, uh, yeah, so so we, we just must mustn't assume it. So 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 so. So, you know, back to your question about, you know, how do we measure it? Um, you know, I, perhaps with the individual patient, maybe we, we should avoid measuring it. But but I think I think what's what's really important is to check people's understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and this is a, a really good practice. I mean, I think if you're, um, you know, seeing somebody um you know, maybe somebody's been referred up with a, a new diagnosis of diabetes or something. Um, you know, just ask them 
before you even start, you know, what do you understand that diabetes is? And, um, and, and, and you'll get a clear idea from their explanation of it, um, where you need to start and where you need to begin and, and, and how to approach that. Um, so I think that's a, a really important thing to do. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the other thing to do is, is, um, you know, once you've, you've, you've had a consultation with somebody, um, I think the important thing then is to check their understanding as well. And we, we often talk about this process of teach back where, um, <laughs> you know, you, you get the person, um, to say, you know, you know, um, just, just cause I'm not very good at explaining things to you. Could I just, um, can you just tell me what you've you've understood and what we can get out of it? And and, and that's a great way. Often it's a, a very good feedback about your own consultation skills and how good you are as a communicator. Um, and, and and often people get it, you know, spot on, and that's really reassuring. But also it's really helpful because it does, you know, clear up any misunderstandings and it means the person's not leaving you going out with completely um, false ideas, yeah. um, which can be really dangerous. So so that can be helpful. And people say that 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 takes time um but um it saves time in the long run so it's mm -hmm. worth worth investing in that yeah so yeah that really, really ring like rings true with me i remember we i, I heard a a talk from a, a lawyer about sort of legal aspects of medicine and i really didn't understand a thing yeah. Um, and and uh and what i did though was i then went to look up what it all meant you know in yes. And and that's probably the danger as well. You know, if we don't give information in a way that people understand, they go to their alternative sources, yeah. which might not be true or credible. Um, and they can go that down that Google rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah. Um, and then that leads to so much anxiety and more ill health around. And you can see how the cycle goes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and 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 I think um, uh, <laughs> I just forgot what I was going to say. There, but, but, okay. but 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 no. But I was what I was going to say. I was it was also going to flip that round. Actually, um, I think it's really important that we encourage um, or, or we we demonstrate that not only you know we're very keen to know that the patients understood us and heard what we've had to say i think it's really important that for the patient that they um they feel that we've understood them as well and so i, I kind of think about this reverse teach back or, or summarizing so you know so if you know the patient's been telling you their problem say look if i've understood you right this is i think you know this is what you're saying this this and this and this um and um and, and that's really important because you know we can labour under misunderstandings about them and misassumptions, and uh, so that's that's really important. And of course, I think I think the important thing about that is they 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 feel that they've been heard and understood, and that's yeah. a, a really important in, in building trust um, in a in a relationship. And and um, and trust is you know fundamental, particularly well. For any relationship, not but, but, but in the in the therapeutic relationship, it's really really important, and and and, and perhaps at the cornerstone of, of shared decision making is is building up that trust. So that's really important. Yeah, up up here in the Highlands, we've got this sort of added issue where we have big rural, well, sort of small rural populations, but um, very disparate. And when we look at the the 
index of deprivation deprivation across mm. Scotland. They're often some of our more deprived populations living mm. further away from services. So <clears throat> we're communicating with them potentially more with near me, with phones, mm. by letter. Mm. Um, what are the things that we can all be doing to improve that interaction? Okay, that's a very good question. Um, perhaps um, perhaps one of the first things to do is to obviously engage with our patients about um, what would make it easier for them as well. So, you know, if we if we can design the delivery of our services um, through the lens of, of the patient, then, then that would be a, a huge advantage. I know you've done a lot of work around that. Kate, when you were in Tayside, and 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 you know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, and 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 encourage them to tell that tell you what what would make it easier for them, um, or encourage them to tell you, you know, what was impenetrable and what they couldn't understand. So, so I think I think I think that that's the first thing. Um, a, a key thing I think is is as I said to you that the. the you know the, the consultation we have is is such a poor vehicle for exchange of information and, and, and patient education and all these sort of things that we feel are important. Um, but but a way it can be vastly improved is through preparation before the consultation. So um, if you um, and, and, and one of the stuff we do around sort of I was involved with around people with long term conditions is. Um, Normally, they're coming into a consultation, and you know we're telling them, you know, well, look, your weight's gone up, and your blood pressure's a bit high, and your sugars uh, increased, um, you know, and it's very difficult for them to take in this information, particularly when we're giving numbers and and expecting them to sort of come up with uh, some ideas about how what they're going to do about it. It's yeah. really impossible. But if you give that information for them to them before they you have that consultation so i think your letters are great you know and, and in fact um you know uh um you know perhaps giving them some idea of what's going to be discussed something that they can think about um giving them some some you know the, if you do send sort of results out to them and give them some white space and so they can write down the things that are important to them, matter most to them. Um, sometimes you, you sort of prompt them as to what they might want to talk about. You know, if if they, you know, especially with people like diabetes, you know, they, do they, you know, give them permission to talk about erectile dysfunction, give them permission to talk about, you know, their housing or their 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 their, their, their problem with their benefits because all these are relationships because all these will, will seriously affect their their diabetes and give you some context. You might not be able to do anything about them, but it gives you a lot of context. So it's really really useful. So that bit of preparation um, and and it's, and there's amazing um, a difference that that makes. I mean, when we started doing that for patients you know I used to get people coming in and you've given them their results for the first time in years and that they've had time to look at that before they come in and um you know and surprising things you know they say well what is this HbA1c then and <laughs> and 
you know, which is amazing because you've had that conversation with them for years and you thought they've taken it in, uh, but they haven't. And so suddenly they highlight that. And, and it's great if you, if you do send them a letter that they don't understand, um, they can maybe share it with um, somebody in the family who might be able to understand it. Um, or at least they'll come back to, to you in the clinic and say, look, I, I didn't really understand this. Perhaps you can explain. And then you know, and, and, and that's a productive waste, a productive bit of time. You've you've yeah. you've really identified what they're what the areas that they're that they don't know, the unknown unknowns and all that. So so that yeah. that's a, a really helpful. So so I think I think a key thing is is um you know for, for for all of us as as clinicians, if we're running clinics in general practice or whatever, is is, is stop and think and think about how we can we can sort of front end these consultations with with some preparation. Uh, for, for the person yeah, that's, that, that's, that's a really thing. useful yeah. tip yeah yeah um, even just even just from the point of view of understanding how long they'll be an appointment I think we get a lot of patients who come through a kind of one-stop shop of a short notice surgical clinic and then they come for their anaesthetic pre-assessment yeah. and they don't ha they've not come with the preparation of knowing that they'll be there for the whole morning and Maybe bring a snack and a drink, yeah, yeah, and yeah. A, as well as um, you know, these are the kind of things that we might discuss, and these are the yes. terms you'll hear. And please feel free to interrupt us at any point if you don't understand what we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. I think sometimes we don't. You know, there, there's lots of evidence out there that talks about how much we talk as doctors, and we don't give people room to to even interrupt to ask yeah. a question yeah. and I've been an advocate for a family member before who's received a monologue of technical information about a baby in neonatal ICU yeah. and I found it hard to keep up and there was absolutely nowhere that I could have politely interrupted him to say I don't like could you could you explain what ventilation is yes, what you mean yes, by yes. that and yeah, pressure yeah. and adrenaline yeah. and um, yes. so even you, you know I've always wanted to do this thing where I give a patient a yellow card almost to to hold up you know if you don't understand something just hold it up just yeah. to overcome that yeah yeah that stream of words which can be impossible yeah. to politely yeah. interrupt yeah 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 and and, and, and I think so and I, I think I, I suspect if I've learned one thing over my career, I find it very difficult to practice it. But um, is that that um, you know, the time in a consultation for us trying to understand the patient and what matters most to them um, is probably better time spent than than trying to understand uh, to understand me actually. Um, yeah, <laughs> and um, that's great. And so you've given us so many tips um which I'm going to go away and put into action immediately but what what would be like your one take-home message like if you could get us all practicing one thing what would be the god it's so difficult uh, I, I may not be able to distill that down to one but I think I think, I think the, yeah but I think I think I think the first thing is to be you know health literacy aware I, I just think I think you know try as much as you can um, to try and understand or sense what this must be like 
for your patient. And, and we've all been there. I mean, we probably feel very comfortable in, in medical settings, but, you know, just put yourself in, in, you know, when you go to speak to your car mechanic about your car or your, um, you know, your lawyer about something or a financial advisor, you, you know, we, we all um, really struggle to understand and, uh, what it's about. And so, so just, 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 just um, so be aware of the difficulties, um, try and spot those difficulties and, you know, remove the barriers and the obstacles and make things as, as enabling as possible for people. That, that would be the key message. Um, and, and I, and, Perhaps organisationally as well, you know, in in your team, um, if you can sort of, you know, um, have a, a health literacy enthusiast or a lead like yourself that's going to, you know, um, sort of, you know, work hard to make with with your patient group, you know, to to make um, healthcare more accessible and engaging, so people do have the the understanding and the confidence to be able to to go through things. So that's a big tip. That awareness is really important, um, and I think this that, that that whole point of you know um, checking understanding, you know, don't assume um, that you've 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 understood each other. You know, you 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 check that um, you know. Uh, make sure the patient checks that you've understood, and, um, and and you get the patient to tell them tell you what what, what they've understood, uh, and and I think those are two things. If you can practice those in your practice, you're well on the way. Yeah. Great. I think, as you say, it's such a huge topic and we could probably talk all day about it. Um, but that is such a great start. And there's lots more resources on the Health Literacy Place website, aren't there, and training materials? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So so um, about eight years ago, um, when we um, uh developed our sort of health literacy ambitions in Scotland, one of the things that we did set up was this um, health literacy place, which is um, a resource. Um, and I think you're, most people should, should should go and have a look at it um, and you'll find some useful things. And, and um, it's also a good way to, um, you know, if, if you've got some useful health literacy interventions that you've been putting in practice, you know, send them up to the health literacy place, put them on the website and, and, and they'll get shared. And it's a good way of... Uh, people in Dumfries learning what's going on in Inverness and, and yeah, uh, yeah, really, really useful. Yeah, it's a community yeah, of practice. Not all really. reinventing yeah. the wheel. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. we'll put that website in the show notes yeah, so people can access useful. it. Great. Well, that was a lovely conversation. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks very much, Kate. Okay, okay. all the best. Bye. Bye. Bye.